everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Entrepreneur Rx. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. David Albert hanging out with me. David is an Oklahoma native. He's a physician inventor and a serial entrepreneur that he's been producing technologies and products for more than 30 years. He's the founder of three technology companies that we're going to chat about today. David, it's really exciting to have you on this podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you, John, for inviting me. I, I look forward to it. Excellent. So, okay, give. So, you have a really. You and I were talking before about uh, an inventor that you've met. I've never met him. The gentleman who invented the uh, portable dialysis machine and an infusion pump. A guy named Dave Kamen. Tell us how you got started on your on your path. You were undergrad, so you went to Harvard undergrad, then went to medical school. When did you? So, so I, I'm I'm old, but I I don't mind saying it. Uh, I graduated from college in 1977. A very, I'm a minor alumni in a class that includes Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, and Jim Cramer. We're all class of 77 at Harvard. And I went headed south because on May 8th of my senior year, it snowed four inches in Cambridge. And I decided that I'm heading south where it's a little warmer and uh, headed to Duke. And uh, I was three quarters of the way through medical school at Duke. And in 1980, my dad, I had a heart attack back in Oklahoma, and I went back to see him. And and when they he got out of the hospital, he lived to be 91. By the way, he lived another 20 years. Wow. But when he got out, they said he lived in rural Oklahoma, and he's very well-educated, actually was a Rhodes Scholar, was the Speaker of the House. You know what Nancy Pelosi is? Well, my dad was named Carl Albert. He was the Speaker of the House from 1970 to 76. And so a super intelligent guy said, Mr. Albert, we want you to start walking, cardiac rehab. But he lived literally 200 miles from a cardiac rehab center, so out in the country. And so I said, well, we want you to walk until your heart rate's 120. The problem was I knew my dad. He couldn't take his pulse. That's ridiculous. And this is pre-polar chest strap, pre-smartwatch. There was nothing. In 1980, there were no heart rate monitors. And so uh, I went back to Duke to finish my last eight months of medical school. That's all I had left. And, uh, you know, to go through the match, which was a more informal process at the time. And I thought, you know, I need to get something to help my dad monitor his heart rate while he's walking. So one of my classmates at Duke had been an undergraduate biomedical engineer at Duke. And he introduced me to one of his classmates, again, a class of 77 at Duke, who was in the graduate school in biomedical engineering getting his PhD. And I gave this guy $200. Now, $200 meant I eat ramen noodles for six months, okay? That was a lot of money to me in, in 1980 to build me a heart rate monitor. And about two months later, he comes to me with a bo- uh, you know board with all these wires and things on it and says, it doesn't work, but I'm not going to do any more on it. And I was like, whoa, 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 do I get my money back? What? I was so upset that I said, I'm never again going to be taken advantage of. So I went to the dean of the medical school, the dean of the engineering school and said, I want to take a leave of absence from medical school and become an engineer. So then I did. The next two and a half years, I went, took undergraduate graduate classes at Duke in engineering, fluid mechanics, electronic circuit design, programming, et cetera. And then I finished medical school. And in the meantime, I built two inventions and I licensed one. And so as I was going into my internship year, my friends are eating ramen noodles. 
and I'm driving a Corvette eyeball for myself. And I said, this inventing thing's pretty good. But I go back to Oklahoma to finish my training to the University of Oklahoma, where I'd done some research. And I get there, and by the way, I'm married, and I have a baby. My wife was finishing Duke Medical School. We had a baby. Uh, she had the first baby in her medical school class. Uh, and, and today we have four kids and two grandkids. But I go back and I come up with another idea. And nobody wants to license it. And I'd already licensed two inventions. And I, it, I thought this was my best invention ever. It was an EKG microscope. So I go to the chief of cardiology, who was my mentor. And my mentor, Duke, who was a world-famous cardiologist, and I go to my wife and my dad and I say, I'm going to quit my training and start a company. I knew nothing about starting a company, knew nothing about business. And of course, my wife with a baby, soon another one coming. And my dad thought, this doesn't sound like a very good idea to us. But my two mentors convinced my wife and my, my dad that let Dave do this. He can always go back, practice medicine. You know, I was going to be an academic cardiologist. So go back and do that. Don't worry about it. And so that was 35 years ago. Never looked back. Four companies later, my first company I sold in 1991. And that was a company I started, built it up to $2 million. And after that, I started the next company, which I sold it, went public in 1999, sold to GE in 2001, a company called Data Critical. And for three and a half years, I was the chief scientist of GE Cardiology, although I'd never worked for a company that I hadn't started. And so after, in 2004, I realized uh, this is not what I want to do. And so I left GE uh, on very good terms. I, I know very good terms because you may know today they led our Series F funding and uh, one of their senior executives joined our board as of this morning, we uh, announced that. So they're a major investor and partner. And you know, I, I began the Odyssey and ultimately in 2010 started AliveCore. And, you know, I'm glad to say that two and a half million customers later, almost 200 peer-reviewed publications, 50-odd patents, and uh, 170 million ECG recordings, we've helped people. And we really ushered in this whole thing of digital medicine and digital health. I think everybody would say we were a pioneer. And so, you know, we turned it into a real company. I won't say exactly, but we have tens of millions of dollars of revenue and have, and we compete against little teeny companies fruit companies in Cupertino, search companies in Mountain View, South Korea's largest company. These are our competitors, and we continue to grow vigorously. And to have people like Omron, the world's leading blood pressure maker, Qualcomm, the world's leading mobile computing maker, and GE Healthcare as investors and partners. So I'm just, this is the old saying, I'm just an old country inventor, John. And I've just been fortunate to be able to to find the right people to help me turn those inventions into products and into companies. And, uh, and I feel very blessed. Wow. That is a hell of a story. Well, I was looking on your board. You have Coastal on your board as well. I mean, well, he's he, our chairman. The North Coast is our chairman. I, we have a, a very powerful board. We have other, other people. We have the CEO of Omron Healthcare US. We have Dr. Sebastian Thrun, who's a world famous AI. Stanford, Carnegie Mellon professor, one of the gurus of AI. We have a powerful board, and uh, we're being joined by Tom Westrick, who's the CEO of uh, GE Life Care Solutions. And, uh, you know, it's it's a, uh, myself, our CEO, Priya Albani. It's a good board, and we try to keep their faith by uh, continuing to uh, 
grow and prosper. Innovate and build. So, okay. So going back, it takes a lot of, you know, really, so you had maybe unwittingly, but you had the kind of the burn the ship phenomenon when you went to your wife and father and said, I'm going to be an inventor. Cause you had, you know, you had the gold goose. That was the dumbest idea. It was maybe one of my dumbest decisions ever in the history of man. I don't know exactly why I did that. And at least I've been able to communicate that. For instance, my son is now is a board certified internist, but left a faculty position at Cedar sinai to become a chief medical officer of a startup company. And, and today he's one of the leading lights in obesity medicine in the world. And, uh, and I told him, finish your training so that you got a plan B. I had no plan B. I burned the bridges. I, yeah. There was no going home. Yeah, and no. that was, although, although my mentors, as a Dr. Galen Wagner and Dr. Alfazera, they, they, by the way, they're both dead. So I know I'm old because my mentors are all dead. My mentors convinced my parents and my wife that he has a plan B. I just never had to use it. And John, I have a lot of people come to me. I have a lot of medical students, residents, fellows, and faculty members who say, I want to do what you did. And I look at them and go, no, you don't want to do it. Because in 1987, being a physician entrepreneur was not like it is today, was not an accepted thing. Leaving the clinical medicine track to do something like this, especially when you didn't have an MBA and you don't know the first thing about business, was clearly out of the ordinary. And I think I was, I've just been lucky and blessed to have the support of my family and my friends, my mentors. I still am a big collaborator at the University of Oklahoma Medical Center. and got an abstract we'll be presenting at the American Heart Association in November. I've got over 100 publications. I'll probably am on seven or eight peer-reviewed papers so far in 2022. Uh, with likes of, you've heard of these people, Mayo Clinic, Intermountain. So I'm blessed that I get to do what I want to do. I'm not interested in HR. I'm not that interested in marketing, certainly not interested in finance. And so you need to find people. Today, inventing is very seldom a solo practice. And being an entrepreneur is absolutely not a solo practice. Right. Those companies are made up of many, many different functions. And I think I'm old enough and wise enough to know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, incredibly well said. I just finished a book called The Originals by um, Adam Grant. And I I have thought just, so I've, I've continued to practice emergency medicine and I've built a bunch of companies, but I always had a fallback plan. And I always thought, well, the people with the real guts do what you did. Because it turns out in, in this book, The Originals- he Or no brains. Real guts or no real guts or no brains. Well, okay, it could be interchangeable. You know, it's like the between you know the old saying. It's like the the comparison of the chicken and the pig in a ham and egg breakfast. You know, the the chick interested, the ham's committed. I was a chicken, you were the ham. So in this book, the originals, he talks about the success rate of people who who have this income along the way and truly hedge their bets. The chickens versus the ham, it turns out that chickens have a higher success rate. And what his theory is, is that they had to take less big bets, that they could be more studied along the way, as opposed to the burn the ship folks who were just all in. So, I mean, it's really a testament to the people who are, I interviewed a woman a couple uh, week ago who was seven years in neurosurgery. They had the fellowship, they did the residency, the fellowship in the press seven years, and they had a startup. I'm like, oh my God, that takes a lot of guts. You basically forfeit your income. She's like, no, it just seemed like the right thing to do. 
and that was, you know, six years ago. So, again, hats off to you. That's pretty damn cool. Well, I guess I'm very fortunate it's worked out for me. Today, there are many more physicians doing entrepreneurial things. There's the Society for Physician Entrepreneurs. Yep. I mean, SOPE, I, the, the, Arlen, Arlen contacted me 10 years ago about that when he was first starting that organization. And all I can say is most of them are like you, have a plan B, have a backup, have a side gig in practicing medicine. You know, my wife is a faculty member in rheumatology at USC. So I've seen it and I, I'm involved in clinical research literally all over the world. Yesterday, talking to Maastricht in the Netherlands and, and I'll be in Barcelona and Helsinki, Finland in next, at the end of this month. So the difference is, I think it just worked out. It didn't have to. And, and I tell people that. I tell young trainees and medical students, have a plan B. Have your plan B, and then and that'll also allow you to have a better view of the problems that need solving. And that, that's what physicians, that's the unique situation that physicians have. Right. You're an emergency physician. You can see all kinds of problems that exist in either the practice of medicine or the administration, the, all the other aspects of it. And therefore, that's a unique position, a unique perspective. And I think I've just gotten to, you know, I, I love, still love interacting with patients. I'll be at a major hospital this Thursday, interacting with doctors and patients as they spin up a brand new system. But what I'm really good at is I just hadn't got my 80th patent is that I'm an inventor and, and I can take those insights and come up with solutions. But then I need a lot of other people to help me bring those to market. Well, like you said, it's not a solo sport. So, no. so talk about talk about a live core and Cardia Mobile, and what was the problem you were solving, and and how have you solved it? Well, and that's another story in and of itself. In 1995, with my company, I sold a G. I came up with this idea that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, and what if we could cut out all the middlemen? and have a patient be able to directly communicate their critical information, their cardiac rhythm, to a physician. And so I put together something that was called RhythmStat XL, actually got a patent, actually got a 510K, but it was a Rube Goldberg, because at the time we had this Palm computer, we had this Motorola cell phone, we had this PCMCIE card and a cable. It was an absolute Rube Goldberg thing, so it never was commercialized but it was the concept. So then came 2007, introduction of today's smartphone, you know, and ultimately over the next two or three years, the concept of Cardia Mobile, that you have a personal ECG device, even just recording a single lead that we could deliver valuable information, engage a patient in their own care, very important if you want compliant, good outcome patients, and deliver that information in an extremely timely manner to people who might use it to save a life. And so that was the concept, and it ultimately the technology caught up to my idea to become practical. And you know, today, uh, that concept, it's continued to evolve over the last 10 years. And today, you know, it's evolved to the point where we have our CardioMobile card, which is literally the size of a credit card that is a single lead ECG device that'll do thousands of ECGs last several years, yet 
fits in your wallet, just like with your other credit cards. And you just put your one finger on each side. One finger on each side. You got lead one, left arm minus right arm. We've got 100, over 180 peer-reviewed publications to LiveCore. So something I, I take a lot of pride in is we've led with clinical validation. And again, those come from places you've never heard of, like Cleveland Clinic and Mass General and Columbia and Mayo Clinic. So literally, I came at digital health from the perspective of a physician who had been involved in healthcare inventing for 20 years. And, you know, many digital health companies are started by engineers and software programmers and people like that. And so I believed in clinical validation first, not press releases. And that served us well, such that we have extremely large companies as our competitor, yet we're able to continue to grow and flourish. And that, to me, is just an example of the fact that we have this great warehouse of clinical validation. We're accepted as a medical tool, not a toy. So, okay, so someone buys a card, they pay a monthly subscription for it? Nope, they don't have to. You just buy the card, $99. I think it's $99. You have to go to Amazon to find out. You buy the card. There are some advanced services you can buy a subscription, which will give you four cardiologist overreads a year. It'll give you a bunch of other features that's, you know, about $10 a month to do that. But you don't have to. You can just buy it, generate a PDF, and email it to your doctor if you want and no, for no additional fee. So that perspective. And, and we have other products. We have a device that gives you half the 12 lead ECG, all six limb leads. It's our CardioMobile 6L. And then we have our original CardioMobile. I was just in CVS and saw one in the, in the shelf with the blood pressure cuffs. $79. It's an incredible value. And that device, uh, you know what I was really happy about? Is they buy them in threes, which means they've sold two in that one store and they just have one left. So, and we pioneered, I think, for digital health, the use of building a brand with TV ads. So people have seen our ad on CNN and Fox and NFL football. And so we've built a consumer brand, yet we're a medical device. Yeah. So we're not a consumer device. We're a medical device sold directly to consumers and something I've always said, John, is not every consumer is a patient, but every patient is a consumer. Yeah, and totally. therefore, customer first focus has always been an alive course uh, mantra. And uh, and I think it's, it's, again, served us well. At the same time, you have clinical validation, customer obsession. We kind of bring those two things together with our technology, our software, and our services. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell how many times people have come into the emergency department saying, my heart's skipping beats, it went really fast for a period of time, I almost passed out. Having a having a single lead to say, wow, you're in AFib, wow, you're in SVT, or wow, you're in VTAC, or sinus, sinus tac, is incredibly helpful because without it, you're just flipping a coin. And then they put a, you know, we have to put a whole thermometer on them, which takes quite a while to do. So, I mean, this is truly life-saving. Well, in, in, in England, the NHS now has adopted and accepted uh, cardia. And there is a, an ER doctor named Matthew Reed, who's now published four papers. He says every time anybody comes in with, with palpitations, we give them a cardia and send them home. And that he's shown that it has a much higher diagnostic yield than a 24-hour Holter because those palpitations may not come back for three or four weeks. Oh, yeah. And so even a Ziopatch or something, he said, this enables us to do a more rapid diagnosis and to have a higher diagnostic yield. And so they, he's published a bunch of papers and trying to get that accepted. In England, it's easy. It's one system. In the United States, it's yeah. thousands of, there's no system. It's thousands of systems. So it's a little, a little more challenging. But 
but it's still it's it your the application you bring up is being done today in the United Kingdom. How is Apple doing it with this with their wristwatch, and which is really only a single? I mean, it's just a single point on your wrist, and they're still. Yeah, well, they they do you know you touch it with your other one, so they do again a lead right, one right. ECG with with their device, and so as does Fitbit and Samsung, they all I would say they they all came out with the same type of of device added on to their smartwatch platforms, and uh, I do not talk ill of my competitors no of course i speak with my performance and so all i would say is they've got solutions and they have millions of customers for those solutions and i i you know i hope they uh help take care of them we have a unique situation in that are a unique demographic john are that's the difference those are consumer products that have a medical capability ours is a medical product and how do i know that because our average age is over the age of 60. Our biggest decade is 60 to 70, and the second biggest decade, 70 to 80. Those aren't people that buy smartwatches. That's a completely different demographic. And so ours is a dedicated device giving you a dedicated function. And so that, you know, it's a different market. There's certainly overlap, but a different market. Did you ever think looking back, you know, that old saying, life's got to be lived forwards, but it only makes sense looking backwards. Did you ever think... 20 years ago, 15, 30 years ago, you'd be showing me a credit card and saying, this is how you do a single EDKG. I mean, it's got to be just mind blowing to you. Well, I I mean, my whole journey, you know, I I consider it a random walk. It's not uh, hindsight's 2020 or so my ophthalmologist tells me, and oh, by the way, I have 2020 vision for the first time since I was 10 years old. Thank you, cataract extraction lens implants, okay? Those are my readers. That's why I had them, I know, because they're, they're my readers, but I don't have to wear glasses anymore for driving and surfing because I live on the beach. So it's a pretty nice, pretty nice gig. Uh, I would just tell you that I go forward. I'm proud of the things I've done. I've tried to second guess myself. Should I have done this? Should I have done that? Would it have had a better outcome, a different outcome? And all I can tell you is, best thing I ever did was marry my wife. She's fabulous, and I'm not. There's no second guessing there. And and the other things, not much value in doing that. So uh, from my perspective, it's kind of like burn the bridges. There was a uh, there was an old movie. It's, it's old because I know Burt Reynolds was in it. It's Cannonball Cannonball Express. I know it. And in Cannonball Express, the guy, the Italian guy driving the Ferrari, first thing, first rule of Italian driving, he rips the mirrors off. Don't look backwards. And I kind of have to adopt that first rule of Italian driving. You only live forward. But however, you learn things in your previous two companies that you that you apply to a life core. Well, I have an entrepreneurial prayer that I came up with. I want to God grant me the wisdom to only make new mistakes. I love it. Yep. Okay. That is, yes, you're absolutely right. Those who do not learn history are bound to repeat it. Yeah, We have a lot of those people in this world, but I, I'm glad to say I'm not one of them. And so I absolutely try not to make the same mistakes. So let me ask another question. So I always joke that I'm probably unemployable. I've just worked for myself long and so long that I'm generally, you know, we consider myself unemployable. 
But you not only worked for yourself, then you went to one of the largest companies in the world, maybe the largest at the time. At the time, it was the largest, yeah. yeah GE. That was post-Jack Welch, right? Right. That was uh, actually, it was, we were one of Jeff Immelt's first acquisitions. Yep. They bought my company on 9-11-2001. It was wild. It was just wild. We're watching wow. the TVs and planes are crashing. My wife's crying, calling me. That was in Seattle. My family's in Oklahoma City. It was just crazy. So, uh, yeah, I, and I, and after, you know, three and a half years, I realized it was not the right place for me. But but I will tell you one thing. This, this is, and it's consistent with what we were talking about. My first year at GE, that you have this 360 where, they, you know, you have all your peers and your boss, yeah. everybody reviews you. Yep. And I got a terrible review. I didn't know what I was doing. You're just not productive. You know, you probably should leave. And I had got good grades. Okay. Nobody had ever said that to me. And it really motivated me. I was about to say it pissed me off, but it motivated me. And so after that, when I left, I, I reported to the chief technology officer of GE Healthcare, reported to Joe Hogan, who at the time was the head of GE Healthcare, and later went on to run ABB. And, and they begged me to stay because I realized that I was a you know, square peg in a round hole, but I figured out how I could shrink my square down to where it fits in the round hole, okay? I could make it work. I could understand how they thought and what their system was like, and I could win at it. And I did. I absolutely did. And and so, but that was, in and of myself, I kind of said, this is not me. I just made me fit here. Yeah. And so I, I adapted to the environment. But, you know, at the same time, I wasn't doing any inventing. I, I can tell you that. I was I had ideas, but I wasn't doing inventing. I, more than anything else, probably a salesman out selling MRs and CTs and cath labs and echoes to hospital systems as the expert. So I learned, I learned that I can do that. I could adapt. I'm probably unemployable also, but if I had to, I'd do it. The good news is today, I don't have to anymore. Yeah. So oh, you know, I, they they they're more likely to have to make their square round out their square peg you know they round out the square hole so that my round peg will fit in it so well yeah well GE today is not you know i read the book from the gut and was kind of marveled at jack welsh's philosophy on on managing employees and the 360 surveys and the whole nine yards i thought wow that's a cool process living in it would be interesting but you know obviously ge has had tremendous challenge over the last 15 years. Well, and the good news is it didn't really affect the healthcare group very much, but there were a lot of mistakes made. I, I, I'm not going to point fingers. A lot of other people pointing the fingers at whoever, you know, whether it's Jeff Immelt or Jack Welch, it was a, a system that had a lot of problems. And I could see that even in 2004. And so, you know, I, it, at the time it wasn't a thing for me, but, you know, I have tremendous respect for GE. Oh, yeah. We just partnered with them and I have great friends there. They're the leader in many aspects of healthcare, and I think you know we're excited about the opportunities because AliveCore has had this patient-consumer focus, and this partnership brings us into the healthcare enterprise. And as much as I hate to tell people in digital health, we're not going to have telestents and telesurgeries anytime soon. You're you're not going to be uh, you know putting in your your taver uh, in your kitchen. Yeah. So you know, there's still critical need for hospital specialist uh, technology-oriented care. And, and we're glad we're going to be partnering with a company as great as GE to 
to bring our technology and solutions to that environment. That's amazing. Okay, so you said you're on your Series F funding. Series F's getting kind of long in the tooth. What's the exit? Well, you know, it's you can't govern the macro environment. You know, the world has changed radically in a year. A year ago, a new healthcare digital health unicorn was being born every week. Unbelievable valuations, SPACs, you know, were prevalent and popular and everybody doing it. We turned several down. Yeah. I think wisely. Again, we have smart yeah. people like Vinod Kosla, and the window for IPOs has gone closed. SPACs are going to go away. Yeah. Most of those have done incredibly poorly. Yeah. So Wall Street has had a major correction, and no more has that been obvious than in high growth companies, i.e. people not making money. AliveCorp, we spend more money than we make. We make good money, but we spend a lot more because we're trying to push our growth. And that that's the group that has been especially hurt in the last year. So, you know, we don't control the environment, but we want to continue to grow and we want to continue to expand our business into places like the healthcare enterprise. And so, uh, you know, private funding, I'm just glad we could do it. It's a tough environment out there for people raising money. It's not like it was. And then there's an incredible amount of venture capital, dry powder, you know, family offices, private equity. However, they're extremely reluctant to invest right now because their crystal balls are in the shop and they're, uh, they're a little cloudy. And so I think everybody, you know, we feel very good about what we've, about the funding we've raised and that, uh, you know, it, it'll last us quite a while given our growth rate and our, uh, our revenue. So, you know, we've got good margins. We've got all those things. Again, we got some things we want to do before we, uh, before we stop. Let's put it that way. Yep. I like it. You know, you probably know the same, and I have a feeling you have an idea and we'll have an instant idea, but you know, this saying is attributed to Isaac Newton, although I don't think it's really his. If I have seen further than others, it's only because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Whose shoulders are you standing on? Oh, we're standing on many people's shoulders. I mean, I personally am standing on the shoulders of my wife and my mentors, those who helped us, certainly on our investors, our board members. But, but how about scientists? How about like inventors before you? Oh, I mean, you mentioned Dean Kamen. Yeah. Uh, Dean's a little older than I am, but not that much. He's an independent inventor. But like Tom Edison, he has a whole team of people behind him. Okay. Right. It's not just Dean Kamen in a garage. And and you look at you look at the other others who have who are, are of similar ilk. There's Tom Foley, the Foley catheter. He's been a, a major innovative force in Silicon Valley, MedTech. A lot of people, a guy named Mike Ramsey. Mike Ramsey was a MD, PhD, biomedical engineer in Duke, started a company called Criticon. So if you ever had the Dynamap blood pressure cuff, Mike Ramsey developed that as a student at Duke. You know, Bill Na uh, started the uh, Nelcor and Bill knew, and that, you know, major company, Joe Kiani here at Massimo down in Southern California, took the business away from Nelcor and, uh, uh, you know, has, has revolutionized the non-invasive monitoring of blood gases, be it O2 sat or carboxyl yeah, or whatever. It, it, these are these are inventors who I respect a lot. Companies like Edwards, you know, whether it's from the Swan Gans catheter to the Taver, they've they've continued to innovate and and bring really important inventions to healthcare. So th th those are the kind of people I emulate, or, and that I I study. And I, I feel, you know, there's some in the ECG area. There's a guy very much alive, Dr. David Mortera, 
was the first VP of engineering at Marquette Electronics, then started more Terran Instruments that sold to Welch Allen, that sold to Hill Rom, that sold to Baxter. And David is a brilliant PhD physicist who is now working at UCSF on a voluntary basis, but still doing great stuff, a super innovator, a brilliant man. These are the kinds of people, you know, who I respect and and uh, in my own little way try to emulate. Wow, that's a great answer. Um, well, David, this has really been fascinating. I mean, like probably a lot of people listening to this say, I want to be you when I grow up. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Where can people find out more about you? Well, uh, you know, they should follow me uh, on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Dave01, D-R-D-A-V-E-0-1. I post ECG rhythm strips, and I'm lucky enough to have some of the world's top cardiologists talk about them all the time. And and on LinkedIn, same thing, at D-R-D-A-V-E-0-1, Dr. Dave01. And, and you know, AliveCore.com is our website. You can, you know, there's a little blurb there. And, and I'm actually easy to reach. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or, or Twitter, and, and I'm happy to talk to people. And I really enjoy talking to young people and uh, at least giving them some benefit of my experience. Like my children, we have four kids. They're all grown. My youngest is 23, and he's over here, college graduate, the last of four, by the way. Last, that's a good milestone. Last two, they're going to do their own thing, and they're going to find their own way. And they're going to find their own, follow their own passion. And that's that's what I encourage everyone to do. So the young people come to me saying, I want to do what you did. I go, no, you want to do it the way you want to do it, not exactly. the way I did it. So that's that's what I, I try to do. Really so thank good. you, John. Thank you for this opportunity. Pleasure. You totally killed it. Folks, signing off. Have a great time. We'll see you again in a week or so. Thanks, then. Dr. Albert, thank you very much. This has been more than inspiring. Doctor, thank you. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.